Welcome to the Cubed Audio Show. Whether you are an entrepreneur, an influencer, a sole trader, starting your first business or currently running a successful business, Cubed's got you covered. We discuss topics around accountancy, tax, business advice, raising investment, helping you to manage your wealth, and marketing to scale your business. Before we start we would like to inform you all our audio shows are subject to be recorded. By accepting an invitation to speak you are granting us permission to record your presence. So let's get this show started. Okay, brilliant. Thanks very much for covering that because this is something, the most common questions we get uh, from new businesses. Now we've got Jasser on the stage. Jasser, have you any questions regarding sole trader business setup or, or limited company? Have you any questions? Please introduce yourself, what you do and what exactly have you got any questions for us? Hi, good afternoon. Well, good evening, gentlemen, actually, isn't it? So, uh, a pleasure to meet you all as well. Uh, my name is Jasser. Uh, I am a director for a company called RA Republic. Um, what we do is, um, it's more in the lines of uh, business consultancy, brand development. Um, one of the things I was quite interested in, actually, um, it is picking up from Mark's current point, uh, something which caught my ears was um, the example he gave for uh, Cube Consultancy um, in the sense that uh, if there's any shares at Cube Consultancy and if there's any shares which go uh, get given to another company, there's no corporate tax on those. Um, uh, how does that work? Because I thought any income or profits coming in from another company would always be subject to corporate tax. Or am I incorrect in thinking that? Or is there an exception for dividends? Yeah, you're correct. Well, uh, there is an exception for dividends. So where you purchase, you know, we've got a client recently um, who is overseas and they set up a company to invest in a UK company that they'll just receive dividends. Now that profit has already been taxed. When, mm, when, the, when the funds go into the, 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 we'll call it the holding company, that's already taxed income. Now how you distribute that, you know, this guy's overseas, so he just takes overseas. How you distribute that is up to you. So that holding company could obviously have yourself, let's say, or let's say, uh, let's say Aussie Limited, as we we keep pushing Aussie Limited at the minute. So let's say that is the <laughs> that's the company that's going to be doing investments. Now Aussie could have uh, his wife and a few other people on the payroll, and then however he distributes that income eventually is up to his personal. So if he takes that dividend that he's already received and puts it into his own personal account then he'll pay tax on it but it won't be subject to corporation tax the company itself because it's received dividend income if it trades doing something else um you know some consultancy income on the side or consultancy work or or marketing or anything like that then that will be subject to corporation tax but the dividends won't be because they've already been taxed Okay, no, thank you for that. No, sorry, it was just a off um, point that I just heard and I thought it would be quite interesting to learn a bit more about. Yeah, there's, there's qualifications of small companies, called small companies, and then you've got large companies, so where you've got, uh, where your shares are in um, British Airways or something like that. They instantly, that won't be subject to corporation tax, but with a smaller company or a, um, a small to medium company, that has specific rules that you need to qualify for the exemption. So it needs to be in a UK company and there's a few other conditions with it. Nice. That, that's really interesting. Um, and going back to my actual questions, because um, I work a lot with uh, solo entrepreneurs as well as, I guess, small, medium-sized businesses. And I think um, a lot of solo entrepreneurs, um, 
rightly as it was discussed just at the start, really don't know the barrier of whether to be a freelancer or to have a limited company. Because um, sometimes, and I, I think it just depends on what they're looking to do, whether it's a one-man band consultancy or if they're trying to create a product and a business. Um, but a lot of the time, even the ones that want to make a product, I think the most difficult thing is the commitment side of finding good people and good partners to actually register a company. And um, one of the questions I think I've been asked, and I'm actually not 100% certain about and I don't really answer it, I'll, I say go speak to an accountant, is um, if they were to get, let's just say, angel investment or um, get any type of financial aid prior to like, because a lot of them believe they should register a limited company, open up a business bank account and then receive the income. But is it possible for them to receive that angel investment prior to registering a limited company? Uh, I'll answer. Well, Richard, do you want to answer that on the angel side and I'll talk about the other structure? Well, all I, all I was really going to say was that, you know, there is there is no there's nothing that precludes or prefers, you know, the vehicle in which you take your initial investment. I mean, it amongst the sort of six, I think it's about six million what are defined as small businesses in the UK at the moment. And there's, there's a reason that probably three times as many remain and stay as sole traders. And that is primarily because of the perceived additional administrative burden. And when you start moving into the realms of limited company, you have some administrative burden in the way of annual filings, statutory returns, the need to file corporation tax returns, etc. Whereas as long as you stay as a sole trader, you are only ultimately judged once a year with under your self-assessment. So in terms of actually taking the investment in, you take investment in as a sole trader and the extent to which you invested into your assets and use it in the business that is always shown as an investment obviously if people are putting money into you with a view to growth it will often suit that angel investor to put it in the form of equity and therefore in the form of a limited company because that then clearly defines that they are part shareholders of that business if you're investing as an angel into a person you effectively transfer say a hundred thousand into their their bank account at that point, there is no real uh, connection other than the fact that you have lent one person has lent another person some money. And the, the extent to which that's regulated, the extent to which that actually ever generates any form of dispute or agreement or future problems would ultimately be driven by the agreement that two private individuals sign between one another. So realistically, it's only really governed by the, the terms implied or explicit that the one person the lender insists upon when they put that money into the other person's bank account and remember that a sole trader does not have to have a bank account in the name of that business franchise or um, consultant it but it does need to record that income separately so that is primarily why whenever somebody sets up a small business be it small company be it sole trader be it limited company we always advise to have a separate bank account just so that you have that instant disaggregation of what is your personal funding and what is your business i don't know if mark you have any other thoughts but i mean to what extent might that investment potentially be deemed to be income in the hands of an individual rather than maybe where it's clearly been invested into say share capital does it 
Does it depend on the documentation? Uh, yeah, it's the documentation. So where you, if you are receiving uh, angel investment, I would always set up a limit, limited company because it just protects you, the director. Despite them investing in you, the person which they ultimately are, really they, they want to be investing in a vehicle. It protects you, the, um, the shareholder. You're able to already agree the terms, be it um, uh, entitled to a dividend or a profit share or, or voting rights as well. You can really, you can define this, the terms very clearly at that stage. Um, the other thing you mentioned, I mean, whenever you are thinking of, a, of setting up a limited company, I always think, I always advise on who your customer is. So more often than not, that if you invoice from a sole trader, you might give that perception that you're not big enough you know when you're doing consultancy work it, it comes down to as well with um vat often we have clients who uh, even though when i think of cube when we first started you know we were quoting for bigger jobs but we, we hadn't reached the vat threshold and we always felt you know should we be that registered will people think of us as being smaller and you need to think about that whenever you're dealing with your customers that if that will put them off, you know, do I think if we ever lost business due to that? We probably have with a couple of clients where we we quoted work and it just wasn't, we didn't get it. And I always thought maybe it's because we, we weren't big enough. And the other thing is people are scared. I mean, I would probably have four or five conversations a day. People are scared of having a limited company. And you mentioned things like limited companies or VAT and the fear that they speak to you that even if they call up the office that you're being charged straight away. I mean, we've never worked like that, me and Richard, or anyone at Cube. We don't really work like that. We we prefer speaking to people and giving them the options and talking them through because the amount of fear it causes the word company's house or HMRC, it just puts people off when they could be in a much more suitable structure, you know, company-wise or with shareholders or, you know, shareholder agreements and things like that. So we'd always advise just speak to an accountant or, or, or reach out, especially, you know, you're always free to call Cubes and we can we can give you advice on that. But yeah, I would reach out with as many questions as you can and, and not be scared about um, the words like HMRC. Um, thank you guys for your answers. They're actually brilliant answers. Um, it's funny you talk about registering for tax. And it, I actually genuinely had a conversation last week with someone and I... Honestly, because we obviously we do the branding side of things, images plays a huge part of it. And registering for tax, as soon as I brought that up as why don't you try this, it makes you, as you rightly said, looks look a lot bigger than you are. They were like, oh, but all the new like things I have to take like, into consideration, I have to make sure I'm keeping receipts for my invoices. And for them, it, it just sounded like a headache. Um, it's... I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion, like, because I, I think, I personally think it's a great idea having that then showing people that actually you are a serious business person. You Because when you're registered for tax, it also looks like you're doing everything by the book and you're more trustworthy. But um, what are some of the fears, I guess, that you hear every single day? Because I'd, I'd love to kind of say it to my clients to debut, like to kind of demystify them and say, hey, it's not as bad as you think. And like speak to these accountants, say it would actually help you out. Yeah, people are um, people are petrified, especially VAT. And, and VAT is something that HMRC are obviously very hot on. Remember, when you're doing your year-end accounts, they get to see them them figures every year. Where VAT, you know, it's it's quarterly. I mean, it can be monthly if you want. 
Um, it does give the perception only because instantly people think your turnover is over uh, eight, the threshold, which is about 85,000. However, you can register for VAT straight away. So, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. The biggest issue should be when you, your customer base. So when you're invoicing to other businesses that are limited uh, and VAT registered, it's not going to really matter because that 20% they can reclaim. If, however, you're invoicing, you know, the, the local sole trader, for example, when we first started, we had a lot of sole trader builders, you know, they, they're not VAT registered. So when we became VAT registered, we instantly became 20% more expensive to them. Limited companies, eventually our business has grown now that we have a lot more owner-managed businesses that are limited and VAT registered. So it didn't really matter to them and they, they were fine. But, you know, if you're becoming 20% more expensive to your customer base, you're not going to look as attractive as before. As, 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 as nice as you can be on the phone, 20% is a big hit. So you need to think about that. The other thing I would always recommend is the softwares that are out there now, you know, be it QuickBooks, Zero, Sage, you know, there's loads of them. It's made it really easy. You know, um, you can have your app, be it zero, let's say, for example, you can take a photo of a receipt, it automatically stores it, everything's there. The, the software itself allows you to file making tax digital. Um, you can see all your results. The one thing we've always encouraged, um, Richard definitely backed this up, is we try to get business owners to know their business more. We've had so many people come to us that just hand you a big envelope of receipts, but you know, I always believe if you're an owner-managed business, you should know your, your business. You might go, right, well, I think I owe this, but you should know. And the software out there, you can literally look on an app. And you can say, right, well, my debtors or that, that this particular customer is 20 days over every single invoice. Keep on top of it. How can we change that? So I, I would say think of your customer base. So by giving the perception of being registered, that, that's all well and good. So by that, I'm assuming most of your customers are VAT registered. If they're not, then you pr probably want to delay the VAT registration because it's going to make you more expensive. And then I would just say embrace the software and, and take advantage of it. You know, once you're trained up on it, I've always said uh, someone who's new to a limited company, one year in and you will know. You'll just know how it, how it works. Um, and there's lots of other schemes in terms of VAT. So you can do cash VAT where you only pay VAT on invoices that have actually hit your bank which again is very good for a business that is, um, is cash flow tight, you know, because you're only paying VAT on actual invoices. Or you can do accruals, which is done on the date of the invoice. There's, there's lots of planning. I mean, Richard probably knows more about the different schemes. Well, uh, funnily enough, I was, uh, I was really just going to jump on there and just reinforce the point about the customer, knowing your customer. I mean, Mark's point shouldn't be underestimated. If 90% if of your customers are not limited companies, then in a, the the kudos or the appearance of size that you may be wanting to give out through VAT registration or even indeed in a limited company is really going to restrict your business initially rather than to help it. But then if you flip it the other way around and you possibly are thinking about your supply base, if and you're trying to manage your working capital, so you're trying to get your customers to pay you before you pay some of your suppliers, then size, a limited company, a company registration, a VAT registration is going to increase the likelihood of, of suppliers. And I'm thinking again in, in the world of uh, building, where you're going to get credit terms. 
So if on day one you're a sole trader and nobody knows you from Adam and you walk into uh, you know, a builder's yard and you ask for credit, they're just going to say, come on, mate, cash or card. However, if you're going in there with, oh, I'm a limited company, company house registration this, flat registration the other, here's my, here's my last year's filed annual accounts, you will get credit terms. And sometimes being able to get 14 days, 30 days, even up to 60 days credit terms from your suppliers is a source of finance which people sometimes overlook. We were looking at a client in the office today and they were paying roughly their suppliers on 15 days credit terms and yet their customers were taking on average 75 days. So their money was coming into them five times slower than they were spending it out on the supply side. Now, we did the maths and you flip those two, which is easier said than done, I grant you, but if you flip it the other way around and you're only giving two weeks credit to your customers, but you're taking 60 days credit from your suppliers, you, this particular customer would, would generate £300,000 in working capital. So it would free up the cash currently held in the business through people owning the money, £300,000. Now, if that was a bank loan, you wouldn't, be able to, you wouldn't believe your luck. But a lot of businesses have cash tied up in their working capital, in their stock, in their debtors without even realising it. And uh, so that's what got me thinking about the supply side. Now, in terms of that, the point Mark made there is, is, a, is effectively the same one. It's, you know, cash, cash is king. You know, an old boss of mine used to say, you can't spend a percentage, but you can spend a pound note, which shows how old I am, because we used to have pound notes before the coins came in. Now, that may sound obvious, but if the VAT man comes knocking and it believes you owe £20,000, but not one of your customers has paid you, where are you going to get that money from? Which is where the, ca the cash accounting scheme for VAT comes in. And so in that situation where you've sold something on credit and not yet been paid, there would be no VAT payable. So as you grow, as you move from sole trader to limited company, you know, think about your cash flow because nine out of 10 businesses fail through lack of cash rather than lack of profit. If you have the right cash in the business and you manage the cash, you can move most businesses forward providing you're providing the customers what they want. And then there's just to finish off on the VAT point. In certain circumstances, in certain sectors, you can actually, for those people who are fearful of the administrative burden about, well, how do I fill a VAT return in? Will, will my accountant be charging me every time I have to do a VAT return? You know, what, what receipts do I have to keep? Well, rather than overcomplicate things, there are other schemes which HMRC offers for especially the businesses as they're on the way up. Um, one of which is the flat rate scheme, whereby rather than have intense record keeping requirements where you must record every invoice where you've paid money, you must record every invoice where you've sold stuff. Be, you know, suppose you're a car mechanic, you have to charge VAT on every sale you make. You then have to recover your VAT for every tire you buy, you know, every spark plug. They introduce a scheme called flat rate scheme, which just says, we know that admin can kill a business. You're better off earning money than you are bookkeeping. So we have a scheme for you called the flat rate scheme. How much did you sell last quarter? £30,000. Well, just multiply that by 10% and we'll call it quits. It's called a flat rate scheme because it doesn't require you to keep extensive records. It just asks you to keep an accurate record of the, of the sales you've made and then 
you give up the right to reclaim your VAT, but in exchange for that, they charge you VAT on your sales at a far lower rate. So rather than you still charge 20% to your customer, so you make a hundred pound sale, you charge that customer 120 pound, but at the end of the accounting period, quarterly or monthly, they say, you know what, just give us 10% off the top. Now that looks as though they're giving you something for nothing. Well, they're encouraging the simplicity of your accounts and your accounting. But what you are giving up is the ability to reclaim some of the VAT on your what they call inputs, which is the things you buy. But each one of these flat rate schemes is sector specific. So if you're a vet, it's 12%. If you're a car mechanic, it might be 14%. If you're a consultant, it might be 8%. But ultimately, HMRC have all the VAT returns, historical and current, for every business in your sector. And they will know effectively what VAT they should be generating from somebody in that sector. And that's where the flat rate scheme comes in. So whilst growing, and as you start going through some of the limits, Mark mentioned 85,000, as you trade upwards towards 200,000, you don't need to be overly complex in your record keeping. You can just bear in mind what we said tonight and give Cube a call and we'll tell you if there is a benefit for you for the flat rate scheme. It has the two-way benefit. It's simple and also it enables you to put that VAT number on, which for some companies they see as a sign of uh, strength and reliability in that company. Yeah, no, thank you so much for that. That's really, really useful. Um, I mean, I've, yeah, if any of my clients and stuff are like worried about it, I definitely will send them an introduction your way, I think. So I think that was really sound advice. Thanks very much, Asir. Yeah, thanks very much, Asir, uh, for coming up and asking these questions. Yeah, definitely. Um, if anyone needs any accountancy advice uh, regarding startup or limited company, anything at all when accountancy related, business advice, forensic account, accounting, anything at all, please feel free to get in touch. Now, one question I have, and then after that, maybe we'll move on to the question of the week, which we actually didn't get to last week, Richard. You remember we said we're going to be doing a uh, question of the week, but we forgot all about it last week. So one question I want to ask before we jump on to the question of the week, let's say I start up a business, okay? And I decided to go down to the sole trader route. Now my business is growing. Year later, I've got, I know that I need to actually hire a few more people. Now I want to change my company status from sole trader to a limited company. Do you think it's possible to change my company status from sole trader to limited company? Yeah, easily. Oh, I'll let Richard. Well, no, all I, all I was going to say was exactly the same. Yeah, it's a, it's a natural transition, and you know it's almost expected, because again, bearing your customer base in mind as you grow, you know it's going to be, as you start to take on larger commitments, be they payroll, be they supplier base, be they potential liabilities to customers where you supply goods or services, you know you will. Um, start to think about the protection afforded by a limited company because remember when we came in on this at the very start you know one of the primary differences between a sole trader is that as a sole trader you're trading in your name and any liabilities you pick up along the way any commitments anybody who uh, looks for recourse to your business will come for you personally 
Whereas in the limited company status, the limited company, as Mark described, is a separate legal entity. So the limited company is the business. The limited company is the interface with the customers and suppliers, not the individual, which affords a certain level of protection. Um, you know, it, as Mark had touched on, should things go slightly awry or for potentially in that construction example he used. Um, something is not what it should have been on the construction side and there is a lawsuit pressing well it will be the limited company that has to shoulder the financial burden you know not necessarily the the moral or the uh, civil liability but it will ha definitely be there to protect the individual from financial ruin now changing from sole trader to limited company um, is very common process and basically, you will just typically contact HMRC, uh, let them know that you're now deregistering your self-employment status and let them know about the change in the, the structure. Your accountant, be it cube, be it anyone else is there to help. Um, and again, you might have to start looking at other review points such as your insurance cover, the way you're trading. And one of the considerations which our tax wizard on the stage might be able to pick up on is the assets within that business as a sole trader as you move them into a limited company potentially they can have tax consequences in particular if there's any gains or losses that have been incurred whilst they've been in the possession of the individual is there anything tax-wise mark that the transfer of an asset from individual to company bears in mind yeah there's a few things you need to consider with that um obviously it's not like selling a business to another business it's it's kind of the cost you've incurred to date so you can you can come up with a value of capital that you've introduced as a director when you incur this when you sorry incorporate this new business so there's lots of tax benefits for it obviously you'll have paid the profits you'd have paid tax through your self-assessment on the profits but you will have over time gained assets be it computers or uh, motor vehicles or tools and that could be in included in your incorporation value so there's a, there's a lot of planning on that the one thing i would say is when you are thinking of doing that to have a bit of a run-up so don't say oh, i need to incorporate now let us do some tax planning to maximize everything um so yeah that would be my only advice with that just give us a little bit of a heads up so we can do some planning uh, I have a question alongside that actually. What if it's the other way around? What if someone's had a limited company business and said, you know what, nope, this is not for me. I want to go back to being a sole trader. Um, how would that work? I'm presuming that would be quite complex or is it quite straightforward? Well, um, all I was going to say on that, it's actually, quite, it's actually quite simple in the sense that very few rules apply to, to deregistering to de yourself as a limited company. Although the one thing you have to bear in mind is you, you can do it anytime you want and you can do it literally with a, with a with the completion of a couple of forms and submitting them into company's house. The one exception to that is if at the point that you are changing, you are technically insolvent. And by that we mean, you know, your liabilities primarily are greater than your assets. In that, in those circumstances, uh, you know, the Insolvency Act 1986 and all its provisions will apply. But if you assume that all you're trying to do is change the status because, you know, you're fed up with the costs, you're fed up of the need to, to file annual returns, the statutory accounts are being 
you know, you're being made to submit are too expensive, your accountant is overcharging you, well then you may just refer to go back to how it was when it was simpler, when you were the business, the business was you, and the deregister now, and that is literally a form fill. And if you're the sole director, you literally swear an affidavit that the reasons you're doing it are for those shown below. And there is no reason why, you know, the limited company can't effectively be wound up there and then by yourself. But I say that's that one proviso. If you're doing it because you've got too many debts and you can't see a way through it, then you should seek out Cubed or others advice and make sure that you're aware of all the Insolvency Act provisions. I think don't seek out anybody else. I think they should seek out the Cube consultancy, you know. <laughs> okay, guys. Now, before we wrap up, Richard, uh, first of all, thanks very much for having everybody like um, listening to us. Thanks to all the audience. Now, Richard, one thing I want to ask you, what is the question of the week this week? Because last, last week we didn't get to it. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to cheat on that one and say we've actually already had it because something that came up a couple of times this week was the treatment of dividend income received by a company. And, um, you know, Mark answered that question a little bit earlier, which is a, a dividend of a limited company paid to another limited company in the UK in certain circumstances has no tax liability in the receiving company primarily because you sell some stuff it cost you x you made a gross profit you had some business expenses at the end of the deduction of those you still made a net profit the government came it took some corporation tax out you still had something left and at that point after everybody else has had their their, their dig into your profits and your trading results it's up to you as the limited company what you do with it and that is Mark's point about a distribution or a dividend or a payout or a purchase of a company's own shares is something which the company chooses to do and it's after all taxes have been paid. Therefore, the quid pro quo of that, if you receive that dividend income as another limited company in the UK, it's already been taxed. Even our government won't tax you more than once on it. So it's tax free. That's been asked a couple of times this week. Um, any other questions? Well, again, touching on the insolvency, because yeah, over the last two or three months, we've had uh, a number of businesses that have come to us looking for advice, saying, wouldn't it just be easier to throw in the towel and just, you know, literally like you would with a, with a house in the days of excessive mortgages, just throw in the keys and start again. Now, there are lots of different circumstances where a company may, or an individual sole trader, may get into tricky and troubled waters. Now, we touched on it earlier, if you are unable to pay your debts, either as a sole trader or a limited company as they fall due, then definitely pick up the phone to queue because you are in an insolvency situation and at that point, you need to be very careful. More so in the circumstances of a limited company. Because as a director of a limited company, if you continue to trade, knowing that that limited company is insolvent, the directors potentially can face criminal action. Now, this is not trying to sort of end on a down mood, but we are trying to help people through troubled times. And 
in five out of six cases this week, we've been able to restructure the debts of that company, push some of the repayments back, consolidate some of those payments, and actually take the stress off the business by six, 12, 24 months in one case with the in-name revenue, and give the company a little bit of a chance to breathe so that you can reassess the situation. But you know that question has, has arisen a lot in the last few months, especially as the, the country comes out of the government's furlough provisions and every employer, be it sole trader or limited company, has to pay its debts, pay its staff, pay its wages without any further support as of this month. So I would say insolvency has been a consideration. We've been, we've been had banded around on the half a dozen occasions this week. Any other questions spring to mind, Mark? Well, I thought it would be a James Bond question. I was convinced you were going to ask a James Bond question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to have any plot spoilers for those who have been fortunate enough not to watch the James Bond film this week. Brilliant, brilliant. That's to the good end, basically. Justin, have you any questions? Are we are we good to wrap up? I, I was just going to say, uh, when it comes to insolvency, I think a lot of because companies are at a stage where they are struggling for capital and maybe potentially cash flow and money. Um, is there, are there any incentives and support for those companies that are at that stage? Because I think spending money in accountants is the last thing that they would think of, even though it's the thing that they need most, right? So is there well, anything we, available which yeah, does well, help we, with that support? Well, we, yeah, we did touch on it last week a little bit, which is, you know, you know, when you find yourself in times of trouble, someone once sang, you know, don't always expect it to come from the, you know, the obvious places. Sometimes it will come from our government. And we touched on the fact that a lot of company and individuals' debts as they come out of furlough are going to be taxes. They may be VAT. They may be PAY and national insurance. They may be corporation tax. And right now, the government's... Um, helpline in regards to businesses finding themselves in short-term cash flow needs are listening and they are able to defer debts particularly in taxation for up to 24 months so if you if you you know owe 15 20 30 thousand pounds corporation tax VAT some combination you know pick up the phone to the debt management line at HMRC don't have the number in front of me but they all start 0300 and they will effectively give you uh, extended credit terms on the liabilities you may have with our government now additionally coming out of furlough you you'll be aware of the uh, the uh, recovery scheme the uh, business loan recovery scheme which again is provided by you know the main high street banks and some of the challengers um, but they are proving a lot harder to get over the line than some of the civils in the early days of COVID and some of the bounce back loans did as uh, Rishi Sunak guaranteed 100% of the debt. Uh, but if you don't believe in expensive accountants and you don't believe in value for money accountants like you, go online, HMRC, and see what your government can do for you. Brilliant, brilliant. 
I think, guys, today's show was amazing. We provided a ton of value, and it's absolutely a pleasure hosting this room with all of you guys, Mark and Richard. Um, absolutely, we provided real value, no filter whatsoever. So, guys, we are Cube Consultancy, and the show comes to an end. And we will, we will be back on next Wednesday, eight PM on the Clubhouse. Now, don't forget these episodes are recorded and will be actually hosted on the podcast hosting platforms as well. So thanks very much, guys. See you next week. Yeah, thank you so much for your information, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, take thanks, care. everyone. On Cubed Consultancy, this is what we're all about. Welcome to the Cubed Audio Show. Whether you are an entrepreneur, an influencer, a sole trader, starting your first business or currently running a successful business, Cubed's got you covered. We discuss topics around accountancy, tax, business advice, raising investment, helping you to manage your wealth, and marketing to scale your business. Before we start we would like to inform you all our audio shows are subject to be recorded. By accepting an invitation to speak you are granting us permission to record your presence. So let's get this show started.